One ball and one strike. One and one. And a pitching team set. Still watch the second base. But throws. And the hitter hits the ball into left field for a good base hit. Allen comes in fast, grabs it. Throwing the ball to the plate. And the runner turns around and goes back to third base. Boy, that was fast fielding. Allen came in, grabbed that ball, and with the same motion, hit the toward the plate. And the coach, Mike Gonzalez, waves back to third base. Welcome to the PBA Today's episode number 83. I am Ron Collins, the general manager of the Yellow Springs Nine, and today, as we are now through the first round of the playoffs, I have uh, joining me the Rockville Pikeman general manager, Aaron Weiner. Uh, thanks for your time here today, Aaron. I really appreciate you jumping in and uh, taking a slot. Nice to see you again, Ron. Uh, Joe Letter and I, yesterday we chatted a little bit about the double day and did a little bit of a um, jump back. What I'd like to do today, I think what we've been talking about is uh, we'll spend some serious time on the awards uh, process that is open right now. But before we get going on that, I'd be very, very interested in getting your take on events that have transpired here recently as far as the Gehagen round and the double day round, um, you know, what are your thoughts about that first round of the playoffs? And in particular, I'm interested in your uh, thoughts on your matchup with, uh, is it Boise, I think, is your, uh, is your yeah, double-day matchup. Yeah, it's Boise. Uh, I, I, I was very actually impressed by, uh, by the way Boise uh, really took care of Calgary in the first round. Um, that, that, was, that was very impressive. Um, you know, one of the one of the two sweeps in the first round. And I'd say the slightly more dominating one, although the other one obviously was against a very tough Omaha team. Uh, so uh, which which had to surprise everybody for a second. Imagine if you'd won 70 percent of your games at home, went into the playoffs with home field advantage and lost the first two games at home. Gotta that's be what happens in Twin City, Omaha. Yeah, that's got to be demoralizing. I, I mean, that, that's a that's a team that was just absolutely stacked, and you, you start looking at look at that that series, and and it was a close series. I mean, there were there weren't there weren't a lot of games that were there weren't any games that were blowouts in there, and and but yeah, I mean, you had two teams definitely built to win now, and and Omaha getting you know getting swept in that way was, was, it, it should be very concerning for sure in the second round um, for the surfers. But um, as far as my matchup goes, um, because Boise was so impressive in the first round and because honestly, they're, they're one of the few offenses in the league that really, they really can't hold with me. They were second in runs scored and they have, of course, you know, two of the biggest stars in the BBA uh, in, you know, in Roman and French. Um, Who did not have big series. No, no, he didn't. He did not have a big series. And, and, and they, they, they wrecked them anyway, which was, which was a great concern to me also. But the big thing I've noticed with Boise, and, and, and this is something that I've noticed in a lot of successful playoff teams over the years is, is their starting pitching is, very lefty heavy. Um, that 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 pitching staff, um, you know, they're they're led by uh, 
Dunga by Miguel Ramos and, you know, and, and Eugenio Asseldonk, I'm going to go ahead and say. <laughs> we, we need an Asseldonk sighting every BBA today that we possibly can get. Yeah, as, just, just once again, Asseldonk. And, and then you have Robin Cooper. Well, what was that? Was that Asseldonk? Was that what I heard? That was Asseldonk. Oh, excellent. Asseldonk. 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 So Robin Cooper, of course, also also lefty. Um, it, Cooper Cooper's an interesting player. The respect that uh, he was, he, he seems to have been a little more successful than his numbers would suggest. He had 110 walks during the year, and that that plays into my hands a little bit because I, I I led the league in walks. But um, the other two Cooper are, has always been a very interesting player. I mean, from the moment that uh, Boise drafted him as highly as they drafted him back in what 41 or 42, I can't remember when that draft was, but. Yeah, top 10 guy, yeah. Yeah, to me that was a little bit of a controversial selection, but he has been quite a successful pitcher, um, despite some of the things that you might suggest were not uh, as... He doesn't look as dominating as he has been at certain points, so that's he's a bit of a wild card. He benefited a lot from the power outage and walks, uh, but that did, that's not happening anymore. Now he's just... 110 batters and 192 innings is is worth up to five for nine. That's a lot of walks. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that plays that guy plays into my hands a little. Um, but uh, but the fact that they're all lefties, um, I have a little better lefty righty balance than some teams with Daniel Pepper and, and Zhao being Pepper being a switch hitter and Zhao being one of the better right hitters in the game. Um, and a lot of my a lot of my lefty hitters aren't that. That's susceptible to, to problems against Reddy. Also, Sergio Valentin, who uh, didn't play at all well against Boise this year, but but might you know, but but usually turns it on near the end of the year. Um, but I, I feel a little bit better. Like Pepper absolutely just destroyed them this season, and so did Zhao. We're talking like thirteen hundred OPS each, <laughs> and 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 so. I should be able to hit, but they they wrecked me just as badly. If you look at their look at their numbers, I mean, against my my pitching staff, they're 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 scary. I mean, like just just look at look down the list. If you look at the look at the matchup between me and them, okay, you got Madrid at forty one, Roman at four sixty nine, Jose Hernandez at four fifty five, Yamashita four thirty six, French three ninety one, okay, Ricardo Ruiz three eighty three. I mean, I, I, I'm if I were looking at this matchup in a bubble and I had no idea what the team's records were, I would have thought the team on the left absolutely wrecked the team on the right. <laughs> okay, and and so I am very concerned about this matchup. I don't think it's 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 a tough it's a tough first round matchup between the two of us. It would would have been probably the the toughest of any wild card team. Yeah, I think within when you once you get to playoffs, you're not talking about anyone who's going to probably just dominate, um, barring a an odd circumstance. I mean, there are obviously sweeps, but on paper, rarely do you see something that is uh, massively out of whack. And, uh, except, of course, we've got one in the Umeba that maybe we'll talk about. I'd be interested in your. Uh, I am most interested in the Umeba matchup this sim. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But before we before I derail you there, let's go back into the Brooklyn Montreal Gehagen round uh, matchup and how uh, Brooklyn matches up to Edmonton here in the double day. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, obviously Edmonton's a, a powerhouse. Um, they're they're a 
they're a really dangerous team. And and Brooklyn took out a Montreal team that had been, that had been very hot for a while and had raised, raised their, their status up quite a bit, but Brooklyn's been solid all year long. Um, and I, I, I look at that, um, the, the 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 big problem I have with with Brooklyn um, matching up with uh, with Edmonton is I just I don't think they have the pitching to hold with them, um, not really. Uh, it's you know you, you look at Legrand for example who was out so long during the year and just you know just came back, um, and um, Legrand hasn't faced them this year, but he doesn't he doesn't look like the same guy before the injury at least in terms of his um, durability and his ability to dominate a game. And then, and then you know, you look at a few other guys like Takeo Aoki um, pitched very well against Edmonton this year. I, I would expect him to be to be productive. He's a he's a really solid pitcher, as Aoki. Um, you know, real real solid stuff. But but past that, I mean, I think they're gonna have a real problem holding with Edmonton's pitching staff, uh, which really is one of the best in the game for sure. Yeah. On paper, um, on paper, you've got to say that of the four matchups, uh, the Edmonton Brooklyn matchup is probably the most uh, lopsided. Uh, not, I mean, it's not horrible. I mean, it's a postseason matchup, so it's not. There are no, like I just said, there are no horrible lopsided matchups. But Edmonton does seem to have on paper the team that should be able to to manage this one. Yeah, they should be able to take care of business against Brooklyn. I'd say six games tops yeah. um, in that one. That's that's. It's one of those things where I, I actually I have trouble seeing a path to victory actually for Brooklyn um, based on the way Edmonton's hit this year. Edmonton's hitting has been has been very impressive um, this season, just consistent all the way up and down the lineup, and and it's hard to get a better, more consistent lineup than than they have with with seven players with three or better. And and it's it's just going to be a, a tough. It's like playing a tough. basketball team that for full court presses all game long and is twelve players deep, right? I mean, there's just a lot of pressure in that lineup. Uh, you and mentioned way downtown too, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you uh, mentioned Twin Cities and Long Beach. The that matchup. Give me your kind of one liner on what do you expect to see when Twin Cities uh, goes to battle Long Beach. I expect Long Beach, Long Beach is pitching to be able to, sh- at least their top pitching to be able to shut down Twin Cities. I don't know about, the, I don't know whether or not Long Beach will hit. There you go. And uh, again, the one-liner on my, oh God, I, let me brace. The only question is when will Yellow Springs fall out of the postseason? We all know that. So my question to you is, is it going to be tonight or is it going to be tomorrow night? Best bet is tonight. I mean, this this to me is the marquee matchup in the second round because it's you and Louisville and that's always that's always a war that's that's the right now I'd say that's the BBA rivalry. I cannot um, I can neither confirm nor deny that, but it feels right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, any last uh, kind of overview comments you want to make on the on the uh, double day round before we start moving into uh, award talk? I, I don't see a lot more there. Uh, the, the one, the one last thing, the one last thing I'd see here is, I think that with um, that, that that actually your team may have the best chance they've ever had to get past Louisville solid with a really solid effort. I would say that the loss, Louisville's loss of James Browning, 
really changes the calculus on that series. And I, I think I think you're going to maybe go up against uh, go up against either Long Beach or Twin Cities in the next round. If my if I'm, if I'm a betting man, it's Twin Cities. By the way, I'm putting my money on Twin Cities for that one. And that will be an interesting interesting series. In, in there'll be the franchise that's built for, built for forever against the franchise that's built until next week. <laughs> That would be an interesting matchup. I would agree with that. Yeah. And so let's take just a second and talk about that scintillating Yumeba, uh, as I called it, Ant, uh, what, Ant-Man versus Godzilla in uh, Mumbai in Manama down in the Yumeba. Have you spent any time whatsoever uh, looking at or uh, taking in that matchup? That That is such a such an interesting matchup in the respect that, I mean, you look at Manama, and they've just absolutely been maybe the best team in the in, in that you know league. You know, other than I, it's it's fascinating that Bucharest is down there. That's such a big upset by Mumbai. Um, <laughs> you know, and 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 you look at that, and you're like, this looks like a total calamity. Manama has has been eleven and four against Mumbai this year. Um, their offense is just absolutely for, for you know for U of EBA standards they are golden. Um, that is as good an offense as you're going to find in the U of EBA. You know with with guys like Guerrero and and Coca and Veenman. I mean those, those are but Guerrero was one of my used to be one of my guys. He won the batting title in the oh, EBA. Yeah. yeah, and there's a like, we we may get to it if we get to enough time, but we may get to it. Um, in my opinion, Guerrero is the uh, hands down, lockdown, um, what hitter of the year there or whatever in the Umeva. Uh, he's had oh, yeah. a massive season there, obviously. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he used, he was, he was actually one of the cornerstones of my championship teams. So he's got the pedigree. Yep. Um, That's actually one of the great funs of having the Umeva around is as players, um, First off, they're they're able to they've got enough financial resources that they can pull a few of our uh, name players over, and then as players get older and maybe lose their slots in the BBA, you can still watch them play, and that's a lot of fun. Incidentally, I think you could still hit 270, 280 in the BBA if he if he was still here. Yeah, I think but, he'd be productive, but he's hard. It's hard to uh, hold your job at that level. So yeah, as a first baseman, very hard. Yep. Um, but. Yeah, it's it's. So do, you, do you have a call in the Umebid, or do you expect Ant Man to beat Godzilla, or is Godzilla just going to squash the ant? I I think that I mean you got to think Mumbai's running on borrowed time here. I mean, you know, you, you look at their lineup, right? And and their entire lineup hit less home runs, I think, than Mario Guerrero. <laughs> and, and I and I I just I, I look at that and I'm like, almost how are they here now? I'm, Couple of the na- I recognize a, a number of the names from their pitching staff, but but like Kulo, for example, like that's a fascinating place for Kulo to end up after being one of those guys in the BBA who always had who is always to me is kind of had a charmed career, <laughs> um, and and it's just so interesting to look at this team and and wonder whether or not like you know they 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 they've got again they've also got a lot of BBA pedigree Hickman and Gonzalez and Clapper and. You know, Carlos Reyes, and I'm assuming the same Carlos, yeah, same Carlos Reyes. You know, they have a lot of BBA, a lot of, a lot of BBA pedigree, but it's, it's, I, I can't, I can't see how they, they, they win this series. They, you know, they'd have to, 
they'd have to do it basically station to station and amazing plays in the field. I, I don't see how it happens. Yeah, and I think you know you talk you touch on the BBA pedigree. My feeling is is that you know the BB, the Yumeba Yumeba uh, however however we like to pronounce that um, has now been in existence long enough that you're starting to get a transition period where um, you know homegrown uh, farm system grown players are beginning to transition into you know more important spots on rosters there. So some of the uh, the first couple of years, obviously, the rosters were very, very heavy BBA talents, and now you're starting to get a period where you're still seeing the BBA talents at the kind of top of the tier overall, but you're getting a, a more uh, homogeneous mix starting to go. So it'll be very fun to see how the uh, Middle Eastern teams' uh, rosters transition, for lack of a better term, or evolve, or, you know, I don't yeah. know. We, we've touched on this before, too. They've had some great drafts over there. They have. Recently. And, and, and also, of course, remember, we have two new teams coming in, and that, that'll, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out, too. Yes, indeed. And I'm certain that that will cause all sorts of interesting things to happen, and the Umeba is just a place where all sorts of interesting things always happen. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> you know, a small number of teams, a lot of interdivision play. Um Anyway, we, we can get into, maybe we can do a whole Umeba uh, in-depth structure of the Umeba podcast here sometime soon. That would be kind of fun. But let me turn, let me turn the tables here to, um, to the awards elements that we were talking about earlier on. I guess just kind of thinking we just kind of walk through the ballots here real quick and kind of get some feelings about surprise years or interesting things that you see. I'd be very interested in um in your perspectives on some of these players and or GMs and so forth. So looking, looking at this for sure, Chris Robillard deserves the GM of the year in the Johnson league. That, that was a tremendous effort he's put in there and that team's a juggernaut at this point. And they, they look pretty solid from, for the long term too. Um, I, I like, I like seeing, you know, uh, this was this was one of my prop bets that went bad. I was one of the unders on, on Boise. You know, a lot of unders lost there on Boise. It's one of the few things apparently that the that the uh, the, the sports book won consistently <laughs> is the under on Boise. And I think Joe did a great job. You know, yes, yesterday's yesterday's host. Shout out to yesterday's host telling you telling you he did a phenomenal job too. Um, he was he was looking to trade it away half halfway through the year too, and he, he resisted. I'm sure he resisted some serious offers on Dennis French. Then then also, I mean, there's really no huge shock at the top of the silver slug. You know, the, the Sawyer Silks. I mean, just just you know, Shimizu almost hit 400. Roman was just so dominant this year. He's right now. I think he's unanimous. As the number, and I don't know, I don't remember the last time we've had a unanimous vote on that, and I don't think there's a question about that at all. <laughs> but yeah, like looking looking up and down the list, uh, the the Woolen Weaver checking off thing didn't really it, it, that fizzled pretty fast too. You, you know, if you notice the voting, that one fizzled real fast. Woolen Weaver's definitely got that thing. Yeah, I think. I mean, first off. To be direct, the voting is still open, so things can always change right before it's all said and done. The Woolen Weaver Chekhanov thing is 
you know, Chekhanov had a couple of pretty bad starts in his last month that I think dropped him off the table quite a bit. It's one of the things that I like the most about the Nebraska voting and talking about it early is that, you know, essentially about two months away, you break down into two months away from the end of the year, you can kind of break it down into the five or six guys who are actually in the race. And so then it becomes like a, a real horse race rather than whatever. And at that point, it's like the Kentucky Derby starts and you get to a month away from the season and you're in the backstretch. Um, and at that stage, still any of the top four or so, if they have just a really super hot month, can end up winning. In the case of Weber and Chekhanov in particular, I think ultimately that last uh, turning the turning the post, <laughs> Wollenweber kind of hit the hit the gas, and Chekhanov um, stumbled a bit and didn't quite make it work. The interesting thing to me was the question about Cornelio Lozano and whether the league would uh, be voting for a relief pitcher or not in that situation. And right now, it looks like it's pretty clear that Lozano is not going to be in that race. I, I've been in that particular situation before, as you're well aware. Yep. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that given the choice between a qualified reliever and a starting pitcher of equal quality, the league will almost always tend toward the starter, especially if there's name, especially names like Woolen Weaver and Chekhanov, who really could be the number one and number two pitchers in the BBA. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, what's what's interesting to me, though, is that apparently the league is the league is definitely full on stat head because, you know, who you know, who finished is finishing fifth in this thing is Timo Dooley, 23 and 5, 306 Timo Dooley. Yep. And, and that's hard to even imagine that a guy who dominated as much as he did, led the league, led the league in wins, led the league in innings. Um you know, pitch for pitch for one of the best teams in the league. Uh, just, just basically not even not even in the not even a factor in this thing. <laughs> and and that's you know, I think that's a good thing. I think the idea that we're rewarding performance over uh, over team statistics is a really really good quality here. I think on the whole, and, that's and a good thing. I also posit the question of whether Timo Dooley, you know, there's a there's this equation between performance and the way we view different performances, right? Call it a three-order conversation, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Stat head performance, counting stat performance, and then there's this whole press and aura, right? And I think what's happened here with Timo Dooley is this year he has moved himself into the conversation, but not... Um, if he has a similar year next year, my guess will be he'll be up in that in the numerically in the scores. You know, he'll be up in the mix. If my uh, if my social element is correct, it says. Oh, I agree with you. It says Timo sure. Dooley no. will be the name next year. Dooley's a great story too, because there's a guy who who was like he struck out he struck out 61 batters two years ago in 150 innings when mm -hmm. he debuted, and he's just steadily steadily risen to become a really, really, you know, solid guy getting, striking guys out. He's always a great control pitcher. It was never going to be an issue there, but um, like he's, he's really become a crafty type pitcher, really knows 
really knows that you know knows what he's doing apparently in the mound that it's it's been been very impressive to watch this guy really develop and now he's you know he's 25 now um and you know you, you look at his future and it looks very bright for that kid and throw up one more idea right for the stat head kind of people for the folks who are looking at FIP and the strikeout walk ratios and so forth it actually makes me wonder if the fact that Timo Dooley is pitching in a franchise that believes in the complete game, you know, believes in 125 pitches and is fine with all of that. You know, if you follow baseball logic, usually a guy is losing some of his effectiveness in the last inning or three that he pitches at that stage. And so it actually makes me wonder. I, I need to. I need to think about spending some time. I don't know how. I don't know how much I wonder about it, whether it's worth my time or not. Uh, but to look at him inning by inning and to wonder if, you know, if he was throwing 105 pitches a game rather than 115 or 120, whatever he's throwing, I don't know the numbers, uh, would his actual stat head numbers look a little bit better? Or is he sacrificing those for the, in quotes, good of the team, you know, dig, you know, gutting out those last innings or two? I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but that's an interesting dynamic. It also be sort of. I also wonder what would happen if you, um, if you just had an immediate Timo Dooley, Bullen Weber, or um, or Chekhov trade, and he was, you know, he pitches in the premier home run park in the BBA, and he gave up 30 homers in 248 innings, which isn't bad. I mean, that's not that's not catastrophically bad. But you know, if you if you put them into a, they're not neutral parks. Neither one of those two parks is a neutral park. They're both good home run parks. Both Hawaii and Long Beach are good home run parks. But you put them over there, and you wonder for a second whether or not he'd be, you know, he he would have he would have put up a 250 or 230 ERA and been un, unquestionably the number one starter of the game. But then he probably wouldn't have won 23 games. So you know, yeah, little of this, little of that. That's right. Those are the fun things. That's one of the reasons why I always enjoy thinking about awards. And and I will be the first one to admit that my general standard for how I look at voting for an award changes almost every, sometimes even within the ballot, <laughs> right? Whether I whether I vote for counting stats or whether I vote for stat head stats or you know with my heart or you know whatever I don't know. Um, yeah. So anyway. Um, uh, nice to watch Danny Leach, by the way, hold off Rainey and O'Mac and do. <laughs> there you go. Well, let's talk about that. Let's yeah. talk about the the uh, Egan's. Um, pardon me. And the the whole. I mean, I think that of the Egan races, um, the Johnson League race is an extremely interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's become a premier award now. I mean, it used to be usually like, well, whoever, whatever, you know, okay, you just vote for the guy with the most saves. Now, like, this has become a really, really big deal. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, the Leach, Rainey, O'Macken conversation is a great one, and you can see it in the scoreboard. Uh, you can see it in the scores. You can see that Carlton Casson, uh, Montreal's uh, young reliever, is beginning to, you know, play in the game, and maybe that gets into the same conversation that I had earlier on about the aura thing. Right? I mean, how many people know who Carlton Kasson is? Um, his numbers aren't quite there yet either, but at the end of the day, uh, the fact that relievers are being 
utilized in a much more valuable way these days, I think does make this a much more intriguing um, intriguing category. And Leech, Rennie, and O'Macken are going to be fun to, assuming they stay on their same teams and all that other good stuff, that should be a fun battle for a couple of years. Um, my thoughts down yes. in the in the Frick world, and I'm I used a conversation. I used a throwaway line in the last uh, thing about um, Aladar and affirmed, right? And mm-hmm. uh, for those uh, who are you aware of what I mean when I say Aladar and affirmed? No. Aladar and Affirmed were two... Uh, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, so the Racing, Kentucky oh, Derby... Of course, is, of course. Yes, those are two amazing uh, championship-caliber horses, and they raced against each other in the Triple Crown, each you know, each of the Triple Crown one year, and mm-hmm. um, I, I believe it's Alidar won the Triple Crown. And if you added up the distance that Aladar beat affirmed for the triple crown across those three races, my guess is it would be about a foot and a half because they were nose to nose all the way around. But Aladar always won, I think, and affirmed always lost, mm. which uh, which essentially means that given any other year, either one of them would have been triple crown winners, right? Um, so in my mind, I'm looking at Cornelio Zano and Lorenzo Di Medici and Medici has got that same feeling. He is a fantastic relief pitcher. So good. Right? But he's... One of my personal favorites, as you know. Yes. Um, but he's always second, which yeah. is really interesting. Lozano, the, the rise of Lozano has been quite the story. and the, So much so, remember we had a feature on it earlier this year. Reading over that, I mean, you look at, you look at how he, he... He came into the league, he had no idea how to pitch. Great stuff, no idea to pitch. And and now he's just unstoppable. I mean, you you almost can't put a bat on a ball he's throwing. Yeah, his ERA and FIP are both below one, which is uh partially obviously the warpage of the game engine to open the hood up a little bit, but even beyond yeah. that, I mean there are no other Lozano, so it's not all warpage of the game engine. <laughs> um you know something uh something wonderful happened to Cornelio Lozano in the process of becoming uh, transitioning from a mediocre starter into a uh lights out uh lights out reliever right 344 strikeouts at 149 innings is <laughs> again that could only happen in a video game i think as 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 your as your pointing out it could only happen in a game yeah um, but it's my gosh. Yeah, my uh, gosh. And it hasn't happened very often in a video game. You know, so it, no matter what way you cut it, this is a amazing, uh, amazing performance, uh, whether it's enhanced video game oriented or not. And at the end of the day, my main point is I keep looking at Lorenzo de Medici and thinking, boy, I, I'd like to vote for him. <laughs> I'd like to vote <laughs> him to win because he's really, really, really super good. And, and beyond that, uh, Nashville could use a, a boost and you know all that other good stuff. I, I, in my heart, I'm rooting for Lorenzo Di Medici to uh, to uh, beat Alidar or whichever <laughs> whichever way that it went. Um, so anyway, that's um, yes. I expected well, I expected Danny Leach to beat Rainey out, though. Though it's going to be awfully darn close. 
and I'm wondering whether Rainey's year is next year. But we shall could see. be. Yeah, he's he's a he's a very he's a very talented. Honestly, I think he needs a little bit of a a stronger team around him at first point, but otherwise, yeah, it's yeah. I know, think that actually goes a lot to it. That gets into partially the aura thing, right? If Charlotte were a stronger team, but uh, Brett Golden has been pulling a lot of the right strings, even though some of the results haven't been quite as good as expected. And so I'm I'm uh, pondering whether Charlotte is one of those teams that's actually on the cusp of making a turn upward or whether they're losing their their mojo. I'm, I can't, I haven't decided yet. I haven't spent any time looking at it. But if Charlotte does turn the corner up, uh, then you could see Kenjo Rainey being a, a stronger candidate just for that aspect of it. Rainey could surely, surely partially carry them to the playoffs. I mean, you look at look at Montreal, of course, who's a, who who made the playoffs in no small part because of Casson. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I wouldn't be where I am without Leach at all. The, the Leach is Leach is easily it, it, with with as much hitting as I have and as much talent as I have. Leach has been the most valuable player on my team for each of the last three years. Yeah, I would definitely say that for this year. I could make some arguments around Cannon and Dempster the other years. I think Leach has become even more valuable to Rockville this year because of your uh, of the holes that have worn into the Rockville pitching staff. Um, when you can lean on a middle a guy who can throw three and four innings or you know two, three, four innings at key points, then you have a lot more leeway with your starting rotation, which is what Kaysen gives Montreal, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, having Dempster, Cannon, and Martin as your rotation, and then Leach as the safety valve is like double redundancy. <laughs> but when and, you take and innings are innings, right? Yes, I innings mean, are innings. You know, it's it's one of those things where if you're you know if you throw a starting pitcher, right, and he he goes for five innings or six innings, and then the last three innings, you you know you have a reliever who just completely shuts him down. <laughs> Maybe you catch up. Maybe you don't. You know, yeah. it's been... yeah. That's the problem with the win category, especially in a single year. Um, you know, a, a Timo Dooley winning twenty three games in a year. How much of that is because of Timo Dooley, and how much of that is because uh, his offense was so lights out that it almost didn't matter? Timo yeah. Dooley winning two hundred and thirty games in a career. You start to say, okay, well, some of that's his team, but at the end of the day, that says something. You know, so. Yeah. To me, those are the way I look at them. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Gilstroms. A um, couple of really interesting races going on um, in the Gilstrom world. Um, I'm not surprised too much about the Johnson Gilstrom. I am a little surprised. Constable's a scary starter, isn't he? Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah, that that guy's that guy's going to be unbelievable. Now like he'll be he'll be he'll, he will be unbelievable next year at 22 years old, <laughs> and and I I am I, I am not excited I am not excited to have that guy in my division. <laughs> my gosh, he's my gosh, he's good. Yes, he's very very good, um, and you know the only I'll call it danger is his age. You know he's still. Feeling a little bit on the, I, I worry about injury to pitchers up until about age 23 or 24, um, and at that stage, if they've gotten through the injury gauntlet, then I feel a little bit less worried. But I, I mean, you worry about pitchers no matter what. The great thing about Bill Constable, in my to my eye, is 
Number one, he's amazing, as you just said. He's a lefty. He's going to dominate that uh, division. He's pitching in a division with lots of pitchers' parks, so that's going to help. And his past history is uh, filled with seasons where he has not yet thrown 200 innings. And if, uh, that isn't un- if that isn't unfair enough, he's a lefty. Yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm – uh, not too surprised that Bill Constable at what was a 10 and 5, 304 ERA, uh, 14.3 strikeouts per nine as a starter is a little gaudy. Um, <laughs> He's our version of Randy Johnson, maybe. There you go. That, that could well be. It, it'll be interesting to see how that. Uh, how his career pans out. He's a, he's a it's he's a fun guy to have in the league, and I'm much happier to have him out of my division than in my division. But regardless, he's fun to have in the league. And uh, and you know the message. Uh, El Paso's Gerald Sizemore is a fine pitcher, and and mm-hmm. is deserving to be in that um, conversation, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if Constable wasn't there. Um, the numbers are not brilliant for Sizemore in the wins and losses. Pardon me, but then he's in El Paso. Um, I, I expect he's going to have a perfectly fine and great career also for El Paso, and it's fantastic. But uh, put him up against uh, Constable, and you know, that's it's not even a fair fight. <laughs> The more yeah. intriguing one to me, though, that, that actually really surprised me, um, uh, seeing where right now in the Frick League Gilstrom conversation, um, I know how valuable Derek Cheney is to me. I've been actually surprised to see the numbers bear that out right now. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts? Um, I'm sorry. Say that again. Uh, around the whole Frick Gilstrom. Uh, you know, right now Derek Cheney sits at top of the of the list and would be the Gilstrom winner if nobody else votes. Uh, Edward Crutcher yeah. uh, for Louisville second, Roberto Rivera's third in San Fernando. Um, it was it was just surprising to me to see the league go to Derek Cheney as the uh, Gilstrom guy so far, and it's still a closest race. I mean. Crutcher could catch him. I don't think Roberto Rivera can catch him unless people change their uh, change their votes. But what are your thoughts? Um, well, Cheney was Cheney is is part of, of course, the reliever revolution. Um, he he was he he was fantastic for the amount of time for the amount of time he was he was pitching. You know, solid, really outstanding hundred innings um, and. There's a guy who's who's going to be a really big, you know, honestly, with the depth of your bullpen, maybe that's why you're so surprised. Because your bullpen, of course, is as deep as any bullpen as we've ever had in the BBA, I think. Um, and Cheney's just one of those guys in the pen for you. But for the rest of us, we, we look at a, we look at him and we're like, how do I get that guy? What 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 do I have to do to get a guy like that? <laughs> throwing that kind throwing that kind of fire, putting up four war in my bullpen. You know, and 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 he's he's pretty special. I mean, he's he's a I, as I said, on almost any other team, he'd be more than the top reliever. He might be the top pitcher overall. Not that shocking. 
Um, even even given even given the fact that he's a reliever, not that shocking. But um, I, what I what I like actually is that um, is that the league sure over um, over Rivera because Rivera Rivera was one of those regulars. You know, he's the sort of player that in a real life you know sort of a sort of a major league baseball scenario you'd probably see him as maybe not the rookie of the year and maybe maybe the rookie of the year too because he's he was probably the best regular position player in the game that was a rookie this year mm-hmm. and you know and and he had he was he was solid for you know San Fernando and he's he he could have he could have maybe um you know, maybe fielded even better than he did. Um, I, I, I think I think this guy's this guy's going to be as much a glove man as anybody as as, as anything he does at the plate. Um, but the uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where we, as I said, we 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 tend toward the statistical side of this in the league. We're we're, we're real stat heads. We're real war people. We're the type of people who look at that and say, well, who really made the biggest impact? And that, in some ways, that isn't Cheney. Cheney's like the third guy in your pen, right? Like he's about the third guy? Yeah. In that um, second, third, fourth, depending on the general situation. Yeah. like And and, and that, that doesn't speak to his talent. That speaks to the talent of your bullpen. But as I said, for the rest of us, looking at that guy, we're like, he's just absolutely exactly what we wish we had so it's it, it makes sense to be the Chady's first um but yeah i think in a different situation in a sort of you know classic more classical league yeah you'd have seen rivera win this thing um maybe maybe you'd have seen maybe you'd have seen uh seen crutcher with with, with a good half season but you'd have gotten the argument, you know, there have been the the argument in the media is a good half season more valuable than a good whole season. You know, that guy could really field. We'd have some real conversations about this, you know. There you go. Um, you know, so so I think it, I think it demonstrates just how much we we do rely on our statistics in this league and the way we the way we use that to we use that to both vote and and make determinations and. I don't think I, I think that's good. I think it's one of those things that's that's a that's that's a real it's part you know we we we've been seeing the revolution in statistics in sports, especially baseball, and I, I think real life general managers would make exactly the same thought that we you know have exactly the same thought process. Yeah. Cheney was just unbelievable and put him on a different team, and it's really starkly obvious that he was the best player. Well, I guess that makes sense. Um, I, I admit to uh, to probably the same problem that everyone has, and that they are blind sometimes around their own, <laughs> you know, and that could be good and bad. I mean, you can be blind, and you can think you have a fantastic team, and in reality, have holes in places that you're not paying attention to. And you can also kind of go back, uh, back and forth. And yes, in particular, I think that's I'm subject to that in looking at my bullpen. Uh, partially because for the past, I've, I've made kind of public for five or eight years that I purposely made a choice back in that 37 time period when my team went down in the dumpster. <laughs> mm. um, and I was still uh, drafting down, you know, down the list because the team had won so many games, which, oh, oh, humble brag. Oh, poor me. Um, <laughs> 
you know, during the time period where people were getting all sorts of big superstars, I looked at and I get, I'm not, you know, I, I said I am not going to get, um, you know, the Stephen Collinses and the Dennis Frenches and the so forth. What am I going to do? And I purposely set out to uh, draft and manage a collection of eight to ten relief pitchers uh, to be the most elite. Because I figured I had, at that stage, I had Valle and, and uh, Ramos and uh, a couple other guys kind of moving through the cycle. So I figured the the bullpen was the place to make the impact. So the question of how do you do that? It's worked out pretty well. Yeah, the, the question of how do you do that is you take about three years and do nothing but draft uh, as elite of bullpen guys as you can in the first round and <laughs> and make that happen. Um, if you, I, we were lucky to have the luxury of still winning some games in that process. <laughs> so anyway, um, why don't we turn our, our thoughts uh, real quickly to uh, the kind of gold glove, silver slugger conversation. Um, these get a little bit more either black and white or wonky, depending on how you look at it. Um, but uh, we can pro- I think we can agree to, uh, pass on the pitcher gold glove conversations because, yeah, um, I don't know if you can tell me what makes a gold glove pitcher. I'm happy to listen. <laughs> 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 but I'm always I I am always most intrigued on uh, and you know can scan through all these. But I am always most intrigued about how people think about catchers in the gold glove. And so I would be interested in. Um, how you look at catchers because they are so hard to quantify, right? There's just raw runners thrown out, but then if you have a great arm, runners don't run as much. And so, um, and then there's, it's hard to judge how much is, how much framing is worth. And there's no real stats in that. Um, how do you go about deciding uh, right now? I think in the, in the Johnson league, if you look at, um, at the catchers, you've got uh, Brooklyn's Francisco Flores looks to be the major front runner, and in the Frick League, uh, Parker Davenport um, has a even stronger lead. Again, the voting is not closed, but those look to be the, the answers right now. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, first of all, I can tell you that I actually voted for uh, Quentin Lara um, as as the um, as the gold glove in the, in the Johnson league. Um, and what of two proud people who did that? And um, primarily I did that um, because I, I think that his zone rating, which was very high uh, for a catcher mm-hmm. hides a little bit of a story there. Um, I, I think he is, um, I think he probably had a lot of games where he was uh where he was, where he was, uh, you know, solidly, like like solidly on the spot. Um, now Flores' zone rating also very good, um, so that that's not the only reason. Uh, additionally, you know, there's there's the whole uh, efficiency question, um, and um, and I, Flores was considered to be a considerable less considerably less efficient than Lara. And what what I I think in my head, what I I imagine catcher, you know, fielding efficiency, which, by the way, Glara is 
as as good as anybody in the you know BBA. It, his numbers are actually considerably down in that regard from last year, where they were incredible. Um, few less errors, um, just a few few more um, you know a few more. Uh, Uh, you know, just just a, a few more assists. Uh, it's 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 pretty close between the two of them. Flores is a really good pick, though. He was, you know, he he'd definitely been my second pick. Um, but I, I go largely at efficiency because I I think you know if you're if you're one of those one of those players who um, just does it consistently, the stat that's that's a stat that'll hold that out. Yeah. Um, but Flores, I mean, he had a he had an unusually good year throwing out runners. Um, Laura did too, by the way, for him, 31, 36% for him is very high. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the highest number of his career. Right. Um, and, and also, you know, you, you, you look, you know, you look at that, it's, it's, it's close though. It's, it's a close race between the two and the four is a good pick. Uh, because 40, 41% throw it out is pretty impressive. Had, that's actually down from last year. He threw almost 50% of the runners out from last year, too, which is amazing. Yep. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, for me, one of the things I would love to see is some way to get a flavor of – I mean, I, I like your conversation, right, about zone rating and efficiency, which is um, – really important for me for most of the positions, right? That's really what I'm looking for for most positions. And then, but in the catcher world, you've also got this element of throwing out runners and controlling the running game, uh, which we actually have at least some stats to make us think about. What we don't have are any stats having to do with framing and whatever else is under that world called defensive ability, right? And um, uh, that's one thing I've been trying to find some actual time to dig more into from all of my great scripty stuff. And if I ever find anything that's interesting, I'll post it, of course, because I post everything I think about. <laughs> okay. um, but uh, I'm, I'm always interested in the way uh, people think about that defensive framing. And I've got even more so back in the days when uh, what Tyler Simmons was doing all of his studies on on um, defensive ability of catchers. Um, yeah, I, I actually also voted for Iris Sanchez over um, over Akbalut. I'm going to go with Akbalut, and um, that that one was also very close. Um, but if if you look at the two players, um, you know, Akbalut small, smaller fielding percentage, more errors, smaller range factor, smaller efficiency. The only thing he had over him was about half a point in zone rating, and both of their zone ratings were extremely good. And so I, Sanchez and Akbalut are as close as you want for a race in that way. And Sanchez a lot less but, – but, but really locked it for me is that Sanchez did what he did in, um, you know, at third base in a lot less games. I mean, he had the same zone rating and basically uh, – 60 less games, and well, well, I understand why one would vote for Akbalut, and it's a good good pick. Um, you know, I, I I voted Sanchez because you know it's it's one of those things where he was just you know very very good for the time he was out there. Yeah, and you pick um, on the Johnson third base um, 
race, which is one I was actually going to bring up, because um, I don't know if I want to dig through every single uh, element of these, but uh, the yeah. third base race is interesting in the Johnson because you've got five candidates getting votes, and, you know, as a classic rule of thumb, you always know that a Phoenix player is going to be getting a vote <laughs> of, uh, for everything. Um, well, we know how Iskandar got his vote, probably. There you go. <laughs> he plays for Phoenix. Exactly. Um, but even at that, you've got four guys that are getting votes. In uh, it does feel to me like Akbilet and Sanchez are the two major front runners, and there are some nuances in the stats that would perhaps lead one to vote for one over the other. But you've also got Jeremy Pickens with two votes, so that's got to be more than just a general manager homing it, and yeah. Stephen Collins. With a vote, um, you know, not every Edmonton player gets a uh, gets a vote. So by definition, you've got Chris Robillard not voting specifically for for home folks. Um, I don't have no idea whether Chris is the one who voted for for Stephen Collins or not. But the I just thought that was interesting that most races you see um, where where you have two strong candidates generally don't have four or five guys on the list. So this is kind of an interesting little third base is an interesting defensive slot. <laughs> yeah. I'm also impressed with the way the league doesn't vote um, entirely based on offensive stats. Like that's what happens a lot in major league baseball is they, they look at the, they look at the best fielder as the best offensive stats and they give them the award. And we just focus. Apparently, the league just focuses on their defensive stats, which is very good. Yeah, there you go. Um, any other Golden Glove items jump out at you? Because you've um, actually touched on the two things that I, uh, the catcher thing and the third base in the Johnson were the two most intriguing things. Um, you could make an argument for a similar kind of conversation around the Johnson League center field run, but that's not one where you have two guys dominating it. You know, you've got one guy dominating that and a few others getting a trickle of votes. Just a confession, probably. Um, I actually think Chip Puckett probably goes a little bit better than Mauro Soto. That's a real close race between the two of them right now. And um, I, 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 that may have been a little bit of sour grapes because of the way Puckett kind of fled by franchise. Um, <laughs> you know, but but otherwise, you know. I, I am I am it's always I am always subject to emotional adjustments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will leave it at that. <laughs> I, I will I will take some comfort in the fact that Soto is currently leading. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about Silver Sluggers. Just, just so you know, when I vote for Silver Sluggers, it's a hundred percent offense for me. I don't even think about, I don't think about their war in the slightest. The war doesn't even concern me. Do you see any? I'm more like how they do with the plate, and I, I make some mental adjustments. I do what make one mental adjustment in my head. The one mental adjustment I make in my head is park factor. Like, is is there an overwhelming park factor that 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 determined this? And you can see most, by the way, most of the races in the Johnson League are pretty much at, over. Um, the, and, and the only one that isn't over isn't, I don't know. It isn't, it isn't actually that DH races don't for some reason excite me very often. When, when do you see these, you get the feeling that, you know, the DHs in our league really aren't, they're, they're not the, the same caliber of player most of the time as you see at position players. 
um, that are that are way up on these lists. You know, so so it's you know they're they're good they're good hitters, but they're not usually not usually the top hitters in either league. The DHs, yeah. the exception, by the way, being Lucio Dela Cruz, who should easily have won that award. It is, in fact, you know, way ahead. Um, that guy, that guy's going to be an exciting player to watch and really go a long time. Um, but. Yeah, let's see. Um, well, I think actually on that on that note, um, that's kind of actually matches my feeling about the DH in modern baseball. Um, I think there have been periods where there have been just massive terrors on the on the you know at the plate as DHs, um, but it feels to me like oftentimes the DH these days is you know just a guy. Um, not a bad guy. I mean, you you have to be able to hit in order to to be a real DH. Um, but yeah, I don't get as thrilled about them as I have oftentimes in the past. And I just wonder how much of that personal feeling translates into looking at DHs in the BBA. Also, I, I just don't know. That's kind of a odd thing. I do think the Guzman Rodriguez race is extremely interesting from an intellectual standpoint. Um, intrigued on what uh, what different people will uh, will wait right yeah well obviously obviously they're very different types of players mm-hmm. um, I, I I myself didn't have much of an issue um, voting for Guzman here just because um, you know it's mostly mostly the number of games that did it, it's the counting stats that got this that got me on that one um, Guzman, Guzman had 35 more games on Rodriguez and that kind of did it for me. <laughs> um, Rodriguez, in fact, in that regard, it's sort of interesting that Rodriguez has such a, uh, such a close, if, if you prorate his war of Rodriguez, it actually be higher than, um, than Guzman. And do you wonder if that's park of park adjusted at all, or, you know, whether there's some other factor we're not seeing. Yeah, war should be park adjusted to some degree. Yeah, it should be, um, but that's always a big question: is how well what 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 does OOTP use for war? Is something I would love to actually know. Me too. Um, and then I think I think the most I think the, the two other most interesting races, uh, for example, the Frick third baseman, Frick Silver Slugger third baseman. I voted Mendoza over Allende. Um, and of course, Allende, uh, Allende is is the more, you know, classically valuable player mm-hmm. uh, in terms of war, uh, because Allende is a considerably better fielder than is Mendoza. Um, and um, and you look at those two, and and it's it's not really all that close. I mean, like, <laughs> Mendoza is a nice fielder. Allende is amazing. Yeah, yeah, I think Allende um, is a shortstop conversion, you know, so he was capable of playing shortstop back in the day. Um, yeah, and 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 I, I mean, I, I definitely voted for Mendoza. Mendoza being one of our one of our rising stars in the BBA for sure. Um, and yeah, I, I'm right. actually intrigued to see what what 
what he does next year. Like he's he's. I am not intrigued right by seeing what time. Luis Mendoza is going to do next year. I am not intrigued in seeing that at all. <laughs> <laughs> all those Louisville guys, Jiminy Christmas. <laughs> yeah, they they're not going to keep the ball in the ballpark very often, are they? There. I hate Louisville. God. <laughs> Can't wait to, cannot wait to watch that series. That one that one is, as I said, that is the premier matchup of the double day. I cannot wait to see how that goes. Well, let's take just a second and break the BBA uh, conversation. I don't know if you've had, uh, have you uh, yet looked at the Umeba collection? I'm about halfway through my Umeba ballot right now. So um, anything that you find particularly interesting when it comes to Umeba awards? Haven't even looked. <laughs> I don't usually vote for them. There you go. The main thing that I thought was, uh, like I said, I've been through and looking at, uh, I enjoy looking at the awards, especially for the BBA-ness, right? The players who are coming through. Um, and in the process of looking at the ballots is one of the reasons why I'm saying that uh, you may be starting to see the BBA, you know, the Umeba come through, the homegrown guys are coming through because you're starting to see a few guys who are in the younger, um, younger ranges, um, showing up on the lists and, you know, Mario Gurrier is um, to me a, a clear winner of the, uh, what, Burt League's position player of the year or whatever, um, whatever the title of that thing is. <laughs> um, but I'm wondering whether that's going to be another, whether you will see another BBA guy in there next year, you know, when will we start to see that transition out? And I'm thinking we're essentially kind of there. <clears throat> Pardon me. That's my feeling as I start to look through the uh, UMABO awards. And I vote for them every year, even though, unfortunately, I will say I spend about a quarter of the time that um, that I would like to watching them, you know, week by week, month by month. So sometimes I feel like I'm cheating by voting uh, just because I'm voting mostly on stat lines and things like that um, and my and my heart <laughs> when I look at different players. Um, but that's that's the main message that I'm getting as I'm looking through this collection of um, of the ballot itself is exactly how much um, the Umeba is, in my opinion, beginning to have its own legends, you know, and its own uh, existence and experience and all that other good stuff, which is really exciting to me. I, I know there's always some question or some conversation around the um, originating purpose of the Umeba, and, you know, we tend to try to pull GMs out of the Umeba into the BBA, and so there's always a lot of churn in the Umeva seats, or there has been in the past, only this past couple of seasons have we um, um, had a pretty stable set in there, which is really exciting. Yeah, what, what you bring up is actually why I don't vote for the Umeva. Um, I I am of the uh, I'm of the mind at, at some point, right? Um, the Umeva is going to be it's its own standalone league a lot of the time. We we've we're having actually a lot less turnover of the BBA than we ever did in the past. Um, a lot less than we've ever had. It's, it's been very stable for the most part. Um, 
And because of the stability, because of the strength of the ownership of the BBA, because we have great owners of the BBA, um, it's it's one of those things where I sort of want to keep out of it. Like I, I don't I don't want to keep completely out of it, but I also do. I also want to be to a certain extent not um, you know as the as the vice commissioner and all that. I I, I kind of don't want to impose my own opinions on on the league. Uh, over there, you know, not not pushing the pushing the envelope in either direction, just letting them kind of explore their own their own existence, you know, and and at some point when when the Ubiva is fully staffed and the BBA is as stable as it's been, um, I I would really like to see, you know, I, I'd really like to start voting for those for those people because that that at that point. I will feel like that's that's you know the sort of place where they've where they've made where they've really made the league their own and and I, then I then I then it'd be interesting to vote. Yeah, that's, that's maybe what I maybe we're actually at that point, which is what I'm maybe I, yeah, I like your be. conversation because, um, you know it's what been in the it's been in existence for eight or ten years now, uh, whatever the number of seasons are. Uh, and for example, right, I've been talking about Mario Garrier as the Burt League. If you look at the Bancroft League, uh, the top vote getter, and in, in my opinion, the the guy that I will probably vote for too is Takichi Aida, who's a 23 year old homegrown. Um, and so that combined with the yes, we've been uh, quite fortunate to have a relatively small amount of turnover inside the BBA which allows for the Umeba to have more of a stable GM collection. Um, if the expansion back to 10 teams holds well next year, uh, I think what's happening here is that we are actually turning the corner that we hoped to turn maybe a couple of years back in that the Umeba is building its own image and its own aura. The guys, uh, Joe Lederer talked yesterday, um, you know, about the guys on Slack Given each, you know, given and taken with each other, and and actively uh, competing, I like the ten teams over eight just because it gives a little bit bigger trade market and allows for more social stuff. As long as we can have good GMs, right? And yeah. I love the the two that I love with, I love Stu coming back. One of my favorite general managers from a writing standpoint. I'm just dying to read more of his stuff. I'm dying to see uh, after we talked yesterday, Joe and I mentioned the, that Mike Dunn and and Stu in the uh, as uh, extremely creative writers in that uh, are going to be fun to to watch. Uh, so lots yeah, of good things going on in the Umeva. I, I would actually suggest that you start uh, paying e even more attention to them. Because uh, I do think they're beginning to to carve out their own niche, and I see it in as I start to work on their uh, ballots in particular, I start to see the the on field stuff is getting its own flavor too. So I, I expect that to happen within the next year or two. Yeah, I, I, we've we've had a lot of lot of graduates go to the BBA over the last couple of years, which is one reason for the stability in the BBA. We 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 have. We've had some great GMs come from the UMBBA, and and it's just we're we're also getting some new really good ones there now, and and I th I thought within a year or two, you know, that's that's when I that's when I really thought I would I would begin focusing, you know, on 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 the UMBBA because I I feel like they're building their own you know they're building their own environment there they're building building their own ecosystem you know and 
and it's and I wanted to give him a little time. I didn't want to didn't want to be the guy. I didn't want to jump in there too fast, you know. You know, wreck, wreck the ecosystem. You know, be the be the, be the fly in the ointment. There you go. That's that's completely fair too. And I, I, there's a hundred percent that the Umeva needs to uh, build its own its own brand. Uh, but on the other side, we also need to make sure we're paying attention to them and and uh, taking care of their environmental issues, which. Oh, for sure. You know, as you know, we're bordering off of that on the awards, but the awards are a piece of that before it's all said and done. Um, and, and that's why it's great that we're expanding. That's exactly why it's great that we're expanding because because we I, I think I think the future of the UBA is larger than ten teams. I think we might see quite quite the quite the growth over there eventually. Yeah, at the end of the day, as long as uh, we're bringing in good, solid general managers and uh, it's keeping the environment happy, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, honor, all of that good stuff. Ones that have been there for sure. Then I think we can be about as big as we we can we can be about as big as we have great GMs, and I've been really super impressed. Um, you know, I mentioned on the board the participation levels of the. Uh, Umeba, the export rate, for example, beat the BBAs, and the BBAs was almost off the chart. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so I think lots of good things are going on there, and I would very strongly encourage uh, anyone who is uh, looking for just a, a great way to spectate the OOTP world <laughs> jump into the Umeba um, stat stuff just because it's so much fun in lots of different ways, and it's getting even stronger right now. So we can blabber on in this direction probably for another couple hours if we want to and say <laughs> the same thing over again multiple times. But um, any big picture things that you want to uh, leave us with when it comes to awards this year? Um, or so, anything else so, for that matter? So I, I the one last thing is, is I wonder, given the – Given the given the way that we've been discussing relievers lately and maybe changing things around a bit, I I, I heard Matt on the podcast a couple of days ago talking about this. Um, we this might be one of the last year or two years or two that we really see, you know, relievers in the Stephen Nebraska conversation, and we'd have to have a really unusual. I think we'd have to have a really unusual situation to to. Continue seeing that if the strikeout rates don't hold the way they've been holding, um, so you, you kind of wonder. You kind of wonder if this last time, and, and and to a certain extent, maybe that's a good thing. Bring it back to the starting pitchers, get, you know, and and maybe even to a certain extent, we we could consider differentiating the awards. You know, one of those things where, you know, because there are so many outstanding relievers, we vote. As I said, the Egan has really taken on a. a significant role now in, in winning awards. It's not just it's not just that I had 45 saves and you had 43 saves and I, I beat you. Ha! It's more <laughs> like I, I was maybe the best pitcher in the entire BBA and, and I think it'd be nice if I got something for that. Um, so I wonder I wonder, you know, if we if we should consider actually splitting up the awards in that way in the future to sort of Remove the sort of sort of stigma on relievers in the Steve Nebraska that we sort of come pre-programmed with, um, just just to give them their own award, which would in at this point for sure be no less of an award than the Steve Nebraska. Yeah, actually, that's a um, 
I, I like that overall. I think that's a great point. I think your conversation about the fact that the Egan's prestige is probably about as high as it has ever been, right? What it means to us, what a good reliever means to us is is changed from even 10 seasons ago. I, the, yeah. the halfway point of my career here in the BBA, I would say that a, a good reliever has been underappreciated throughout most of his time. And Matt goes down his path of um, Hall of Fame stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's a good point. Maybe we ought to rethink about uh, what the awards are and structure things a little differently. Um, the league is going through a bit of a transition there, and that's that's a interesting and exciting uh, thing and a point of uh, competitive advantage. If one general manager can get a better flavor of the value of a reliever and and bring more more out of it, uh, more power to him. So yeah, yeah, good points. Anyway, I appreciate your time. I know that I have uh, kept you longer than I think that we that I had told you I would keep you. <laughs> not not a surprise at all. That's uh, that's our thing. I think at this point. I think that's our thing. Yeah, but that's all good. Uh, thank you for spending your time with me here today, Aaron. And uh, good luck as we uh, go through the double day. Good luck to you against Boise, and good luck to Joe against you, and all that other good stuff. My, if, I can be, if I can be Switzerland neutral, I will be Switzerland neutral and wish everyone good luck except Louisville. <laughs> That's, how, how very Swiss of you. <laughs> even Swiss, even the Swiss dislike Loserville. That's all there is to it. Even the Swiss dislike Loserville. <laughs> You've been listening to the BBA Today, a podcast that covers the Brewster Baseball Association every day. Music is Bold Statement, available at presleyandstudios.com and used with attribution. Be safe and well, and we will hear you again tomorrow.